This is the All-American Ron Simmons, and you're listening to Casio's Cut. Damn! Jams like the MC5. What's up, Candy Lickers? Pleased to meet you. Nice to know me. What you doing? I am here with another edition of Cassio's Cut. It's our 83rd episode, so we have our special guest, the host of 83 Weeks, writer, producer, president, general manager, whatever you want to call him, Mr. Eric Bischoff. What's up, my man? Having a wonderful day, Cassio. I'm having just an amazing day. I love this time of year. My energy goes up a couple different levels. I don't know why. It has nothing to do with the holidays. It's just the season. I was born to love the fall. What is, you're in Wyoming, correct? I am in the middle of nowhere, Wyoming, as I like to refer to it. I'm actually about 45 miles east of the east entrance of Yellowstone National Park. So I live in God's country. So weather is perfect right now. What time is it? Yeah, today it is. Uh, this time, <laughs> I had to look out the window to see if it was the same right now as it was when I walked in here to do this. Uh, you know, in the mountains, uh, and I live right on the edge of the Rocky Mountains, and right in them, actually. And when you live in the mountains this time of year, the weather changes rapidly. So it can go from 60 degrees and sunny and no wind to 10 degrees below zero with a 40 mile an hour breeze in about a minute. So it changes fast. It's one of the reasons I like it. But you're a motorcycle guy, so I figured the uh, the cold weather would shut that down. You wouldn't like that. You know, guess I don't ride as much as I used to. You know, I used to ride a lot. It was kind of important to me and, you know, did the Sturgis thing and, and a lot of other really cool rides. And all my buddies rode, and that was kind of a weekend thing, especially when we lived in Arizona, because Arizona is a perfect place to ride, unless it's the summertime then no, it sucks. But <laughs> I've always ridden a lot. You know, I've, I've been riding motorcycles since I was 14, you know. Um, and interestingly enough, Cassio, I think you'll appreciate this. I've never had a motorcycle endorsement. Really? I've been riding motorcycles for more than a half a century all over the country. And I've never had a motorcycle license. Isn't that Now's cool? Now's the time. Now's the time. No, no, <clears throat> no way. No way. Somebody asked me a couple of years ago, why don't you just get your license, you know? No, because it takes the fun out of it. When you're not breaking at least a little bit of a law, what? you're not really living. You, you're nowhere near the edge. And I'm a live on the edge kind of cat. And if I can't get it, I don't have to be on the edge, but fuck, I got to be able to see it. Wait, you don't have your license, your motorcycle's license? No, I've never had one. Never. <laughs> That's rock and roll right there, dude. I'm a rebel. Were you always street bikes or did you ever go dirt bikes? No, I always street bikes. Uh, you know, I've ridden a dirt bike or two in my in my days, but I've always been street bikes. I've always liked the speed. And, you know, as I got older, you know, I, you know, I'm a Harley guy just because of the history and it's American made bike. And 
you know, I guess I'm just a sucker for the marketing at the end of the day. Cause they're really not that great of motorcycles. I mean, there's much better motorcycles out there. My dream someday, I don't know if I'll do it cause it's so much money. It's I hard, I have a hard time justifying things like this at this stage of my life, but BMW makes a great touring bike, okay. great touring bike. So maybe I may, depending on my mood and my lack of discipline at the moment, I may jump into that one day, but right now it's just me and my big old fat, ugly Harley. And I mean, it's fat and ugly. I bought a, a, a frame from a 95. I don't know if you're a Harley guy or not, but it's the FLHTC, the big heavy bagger. Okay. I, I call them the dentist and doctor bikes because that's what Dennis and doctors drive. Um, it's got the big really, front piece, big saddlebags, and all that. And it, it was a 1995, and it was a wreck. All I wanted was the frame, so I bought the bike for a couple grand. It needed a ton of work. I just stripped everything off of it because that particular frame uh, was the only frame that would house a. Um, it's called an SNS motor. I'm not a motorhead guy. I just sound like I am one right now, but <laughs> I, I, it's a V twin, you know, Harley like engine, but it, it kicks out about 130 horsepower to the rear tire, which on a Harley is a Jeez. lot of horsepower. It's a lot. So I custom built, or I had the bike custom built for me. And if you saw this bike, Cassio, you wouldn't give me, even if you were a Harley guy that loved Harleys. Now, if you didn't know all the components that are in the bike, and that's a, that's a story here. Right. If you just looked at it from like 10 feet away and I said, Cash, I need uh, 50 grand out of that bike just to break even. You would, you would run. You'd be like Jackie Joyner Kersey or whatever her name is. You'd be sprinting away from me because you'd think I was nuts. But that's about what it cost me to build this bike. I put everything in it is custom. I took off the belt drive, had to put out a chain drive because of all the torque that that massive motor put out. It's a sleeper bike. I painted it flat black, everything. There's not a stick, of, there's not an inch of chrome on that bike. All right. And I haven't washed it since, when did I build it? 2003. So it's been 17 years since anybody's washed that bike. Cause I, I, I look at dirt and bugs and shit like that. I, I even had a bird stuck to it for a little while and it just, <laughs> it just rotted and dried up and f fell off while I was driving. But like whatever hits my bike is my souvenir. Okay. So when I'd go on a long trip in the summertime, you know, I get the big windshield on it and all that. And I, I, you come home and your bugs are all over your windshield, all over your gas tank. Your bike is splattered with dragonflies and shit. I just leave them on there. Because <laughs> your scars looks, and your memories. Yeah, it's like it looks like a bike that people actually, someone actually rides, not some yeah. shiny looking thing that you know doctors and dentists like to keep shiny and bah. I, I like my like I like my bike like I used to like my women, just. Dirty. And fast. <laughs> I thought you were say bald tires. I don't know what you're going. All bald right. tires works too, by the way. <laughs> When's the last time you rode? You say you don't ride as often. When? 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 Oh, I, we, my wife and I, Mrs. B, she rides with me. You know, once in a while, like our anniversary, typically we'll we'll leave here in Cody. We'll drive through Yellowstone. We'll come out the North entrance of Yellowstone in a little town called Livingston, Montana, beautiful, beautiful area. And then we'll go up into Livingston and usually we'll spend a night or two at a lodge up there. That's right on the, on the Yellowstone river. And we'll fly fish, do some rafting and things like that. And then we'll ride into Bozeman and 
drink and do what <laughs> horny married people do and, and eat well, cause there's good restaurants in Bozeman. But by the time we're done eating and screwing and having a good time, we turn around and we just reverse the, the path home. But we only do that once a year. The rest of the time, I'll just jump on my bike. And, you know, I live so close to a beautiful area here. I mean, I can't overstate how beautiful it is here. And the riding in the summer into fall, spring is beautiful. I'll just jump on my bike and take off for four, five, six hours and ride around in the mountains. Nowhere in particular. Just Are ride. you in silence or do you got music playing? I don't do music. I have music. It's another. It's a pet fucking peeve of mine, by the way. There's nothing worse, nothing worse than you're riding with a couple guys, and some idiot feels the need to crank his fucking music up so that people in the next county can hear it. It's like, dude, I don't even like your freaking music. <laughs> I used to ride with this guy, good friend of mine, best friend. His name is Scott. I don't see Scott much anymore. Scott Dunn. We used to do martial arts together and, and travel together a lot. So super guy, super, super guy. But he had the weirdest taste in music, man. He liked like 1960s Everly Brothers. Okay. And shit. And nothing against it. I don't mind. You know, once in a while, if I'm in the mood, if I'm driving Doesn't down the like road. motorcycle music. But fuck, not for four hours blasting in my ear. It's like, God damn it. So no, I'm 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 totally against music. In fact, the guy that built my motorcycle put a stereo in the bike that I ended up paying for. I didn't even ask for it. And I haven't turned it on in 13 years. <laughs> the only reason I leave it there is if I take it out, there'll be a big hole in my dashboard. I don't know what to put in it. Big gap. All right. If you know what Bischoff can put in his stereo gap, let him know. He'll, he'll need he needs to fill the space. Yeah, you know, I mean, I stuff my wallet in there and maybe a little weed or something while I'm out enjoying the scenery or something. But, you know, that's not permanent. I need to, I need a permanent fixture in there. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, I'll just leave shit in there and forget about it. All right, so one of the things I wanted to talk about, you brought up music. So one of the things I want to talk about, well, are you, do you listen to music around the house? Are you, like, are you a music oh, yeah. guy around the house? Are you radio? Are you vinyl? Are you back into vinyl? What, what do you got? No, not so much into vinyl. You know, I'm, I'm, despite the fact that I advertise myself and, and accurately so as a high tech redneck, I, you know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm into, I'm into iTunes, you know, and I got my okay. little, I got my Bluetooth gimmicks. So I got speakers all over my house. So typically when I listen to music is on the weekends when I, when I'm cooking, you know, Mrs. B and I love to cook. I mean, that's what we do for fun. I mean, there's only two of us. So she's really, and she weighs like 90 pounds. If you put rocks in her pockets <laughs> and feed her, um, but we just love to cook. So when we're cooking, and we cook everything from scratch. So when we're cooking on a Saturday or Sunday, we'll crank up the music and, and enjoy it. Puts us so, in the mood. So here's what I got to bring up, because you talked about it. Of course, you do 83 weeks with uh, Conrad Thompson. And you mentioned it on the show before, or at least to him. Um, you mentioned Yellow Wolf. Is that a real thing? You really like Yellow Wolf? Just so you know, uh -oh. I am not bullshitting you. Here we go. Because Conrad, I don't think he believed me, right? I didn't believe you. He said, wait till you hear the new episode. Bischoff claims he likes Yellow Wolf. No, I'm, I got to find it. I, hold on. Because I think you mentioned it. Yellow Wolf is my cousin. He did tell me after that. We you know, and then I didn't believe him. You know, yeah, we he started out not believing me. Shit, I can't find my music. We're going to have to fix this before the show's over because otherwise <laughs> I'm going to feel like you're 
It's going to eat you up. God damn it. Where'd it go? How did you discover Yellow Wolf? I think, honestly, uh, I think it was used in either a television show I happened to be watching or... And that's how I discovered... Huh? I can't remember. Did he get a song on Sons of Anarchy, maybe? I'm almost certain that was it, because I used to watch that show religiously. And and Kurt Sutter, who I know, uh, is is really good at matching music to, to the mood. Of the, of the scene or the movie or the series. Uh, that's probably where I heard it because I think if it was you, in the last if, season, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you like Cassio, if you found my, my iPhone and you went to my playlist, it's pretty eclectic. I mean, much more eclectic than you would expect People from would me. Thank you. But the reason for that is uh, I love music scoring. You know, I, I, I'm always, interested in how directors in particular um, find the right, because the music in, in a movie or in a television show, it can change everything. You yeah. can have kind of decent dialogue, but if you've got a decent scene with the right music, it changes everything. So I, I pay really close attention when I watch things because I'm a process driven person. I like to understand how things come together. I like to understand. That's why I was anxious to talk to you because I'm fascinated with stand-up comedy because I think there's a process there. And I'm sure everybody has their own process, but everybody has a process. I would imagine if you're good, if you're actually making money at it, there's got to be a way that you can rinse and repeat that formula so you can get new material, right? Yeah. I've always felt that way about, you know, movie making or producing television is the music is so important. So when I watch something new, especially, or if it's something like Sons of Anarchy that I watch religiously, um, oftentimes I'll be, and I watch TV with my, you know, my iPhone in my hand with Shazam ready to go. Oh yeah. Because that's where I discover most of my music is in either television or movies. Dallas Buyers Club has a great score. I mean, you, you remember movies that have great soundtracks and you remember it. And like you said, I love, shazamming music during a movie or a tv show where it hits and you're like man that was the perfect mood setter for that scene right there and and that you hit it for me that's it to me i use music much like you know people use drugs and alcohol i use music to alter my mood yeah so like this morning i had to get on with with conrad at my time it was 7 a.m my time no, it's not normally a big deal for me because I usually get up at 4.30 or 5 in the morning anyway. I go to bed at 8.30 at night at night. I'm, I'm an old fuck, so my, my life is kind of boring. I don't go out and party at night or stay up late or anything. But, you know, 7 a.m., now we're doing this stuff on camera. It's a little bit different. You know, yeah. I could I could come in when we're just recording it before adfreeshows.com. I could come in, you know, with my hair all fucked up and my eyes swollen and all that, and I could I could fake it pretty well. <laughs> And that sound like I like I've only been awake for an hour, but you know when you're on camera, it's a little bit different, you know. So I got up early, and the first thing I did was I was playing uh, Celtic bagpipe music. Actually, bagpipe <laughs> music. Yeah, I love bagpipe music. I like Celtic music in, in general, but bagpipe music, especially when I want when I want to feel like I'm ready to go to war with somebody. When I want to, when I'm looking around for something to tangle with. Um, it's usually because I've been listening to bagpipe music. <laughs> Wait, so, well, you got to give us a song. You got to give us a song. We can like look up or get on um, our playlist. 
Is there anything? You know, anything by SOAR Patrol, S-O-A-R. SOAR Patrol. Patrol. It is, and I like SOAR Patrol because it's it's traditional Celtic music, but it's got powerful, powerful percussions in it. And that's where I think that makes me want to go to war feeling comes from is, is the drums and, and the percussion in that music. But sword patrol is, I mean, it just makes you want to, you either want to fight or fuck, but something's got to happen. <laughs> so like, if you were a closing pitcher, that would be like your walkout. Oh, dude, dude. I'd be in a dugout as I'm coming out to close the inning. Sword patrols right before Right before I come out, I'd have my headphones on. I would look like some kind of crazy son of a bitch in that dugout. I'd be snorting and buying, motherfucker, so, get me on the mound. <laughs> so good music. You play air guitar, air drums. Are you playing air bagpipe when you listen? What are you doing? No, you I don't do that. Out? No, I don't do that. Usually I'm holding on to a glass of Jameson. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Got the perfect drink for the perfect. There you go. Right. But, you know, it's all about mood. And then conversely, like, you know, when we're cooking, that's a relaxing thing for us. And oftentimes we'll listen to my wife's playlist because my playlist tends to be pick me up kind of music. It's just what I like. Yeah. Um, But my wife's music is she's got a different taste in music. You know, this past weekend we were listening to uh, Earth, the Earth, Wind and Fire channel on Pandora. Strong. You know, because she just, she loves earth, wind, and fire. And it's just a soothing, kind of relaxing, but still, you know, cool music. All right. So, uh, you told, we talked about you're just outside of Yellowstone. So, right. one of my questions was going to be, and that may be the answer. And if it is, we'll get that and another one. But you've been everywhere. What's a place that everyone should visit before they die? So, Yellowstone, overrated, underrated? As well, I think Yellow, I, th- I think Yellowstone National Park is overrated. I, okay. I don't I, I don't encourage you know my friends and family that are coming out. Really, you know, I say you know you take a ride through it. Everybody should say yes. I've seen Old Faithful, but um, man, I'd rather listen to paint dry, not watch it dry. <laughs> listen to it dry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's fun. If I can make a funny guy laugh, I've I've had a good day. Um, it's just, and maybe because, you know, familiarity kind of breeds contempt a little bit, but it's, it's, it's beautiful. There's no, especially if you're coming like from Indiana or, you know, some yeah. f- Iowa or some place where you don't get a lot of really cool scenery, it is scenic, but there's so many other cool places around it that are way more scenic and there's less tourists. You don't have, you know, a bus full of Chinese tourists jumping out of a, 80 passenger bus to take picture of a deer on the side of the road and back traffic up for 45 minutes. Um, that kind of stuff happens when you go through Yellowstone because there's only, you know, it's a two lane highway. One, do you one love seeing going. the videos of the people getting hit by a Buffalo? You know what? I do. I do. <laughs> I, did I do. Stupid sons of bitches. I've seen so <laughs> much stupid stuff. People. I mean, honest Casio, the depths of, of the average American's stupidity knows no bounds. <laughs> it doesn't. I I don't know how many people come through the east entrance of Yellowstone, just down the road from where I live All every right. year, just down the road. I mean, I can't hit it with a Frisbee, but it's close. I'm going to guess a half a million or more, maybe a million, because it gets really busy here in the summertime. If you're coming, if you want to visit Yellowstone and you're east of Yellowstone, 
chances are you're going to come through the East entrance. So all the people up and down the East coast, Chicago, New York, Ohio, blah, 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 blah. They all come through this little town I live in. Now the town is only 8,000 people right now. Okay. This summer. Well, I don't know about this summer because who knows what's going to happen, but typically, mm-hmm. you know, there'll be 40, 50,000 people in this area and they're all, but they're all passing through. Nobody stays for yeah, maybe a day or two, you know, but the level of stupidity I see, you know, I've done it, you know, our, our anniversary, when I say Mrs. B drive through the park, that's in August, right? Late August, early August, Whew, close one, Eric. I guess you might listen to this. Yeah, exactly. Oh, fuck. Um, and, and I get stuck in that stupid ass traffic, you know, people jumping out of the car. Oh my gosh, it's a baby deer, you know? And meanwhile, there's 800 cars backed up while they're taking pictures of a deer, which by the way, you can see about 3000 of them a day. If you're interested in that, it's not worth taking a picture of for God's sake, but there are all every year. There's a story of some asshole. And this is usually what they do. Well, it's a couple of different things. There's variations, but you either have the, Oh, I want to get a selfie. Yes. They fucking do that. Yes. Because they think that they're tame animals. These people are so stupid. They think that the park brings the animals in from zoos and puts them on display. I shit you not. (laughs) I actually heard a story from someone that I believe. I mean, honestly believe this guy's not a bullshitter that somebody he's a local dude came up to him one day, a tourist and and want, cause they were going into the park and they wanted to know, they wanted to know what time the park puts the animals away. Oh no. And here's the other oh, stupid man. variation that you hear almost every year is that the last one, the big one I heard was some, another Chinese guy. And I, and I, and I look, I write it off. I'm not a racist dude. I love Asians. I love going over to Japan. I, I, I have loved the time I spent in Korea. It's not that, but Chinese, Japanese, Korean, you can't figure that language out unless you understand the language, right? Like if you go to Germany, you can look at a stop sign and says halt, right? You go There's to some words that kind of cross over. Yeah. I mean, a lot, because yeah. most languages are Latin based, you know, so even if you don't speak the language, you know, if you try hard enough, you can figure it out, but not like in Russia or, or, or the Middle East or in China, you know, Japan, you can't figure this shit out. So these people, even though there's signs everywhere, stay away from the bears, they're wild. They'll eat you. They will fucking eat you, not just hurt you. They'll eat you when they're done hurting you. And then you'll be a steaming pile of bear shit in the middle of Yellowstone National Park. Signs everywhere. Not quite that graphic, but you get right. the point. <laughs> and you'll, you'll see, oh, these Chinese family get out and they'll put the one guy put his little four-year-old kid, three or four-year-old kid on the back of a buffalo. What? A Buffalo, a Buffalo weighs more than my 1995 GMC 2500 pickup and they're fucking mean. And this uh, idiot put it cause he thought they're, he thought they were like living props. I want a selfie of a tourist getting shit out by a bear. That's what I want. Selfie. Well, that one might be hard to get. Cause that means you got to get close to the bear. You don't want to do that. It'll just be another we'll pile. <laughs> we'll stay in the car and back up traffic. <laughs> it looks like a cow pasture. <laughs> but, 
But here's here's another dumb one. This one just happened. Now, this didn't involve an animal, but it certainly encompasses the scope of human stupidity. If you come out to Yellowstone, they have all these thermals, right? Like shit bubbling up. It's like a very volcanic area around here, believe it or not. So you get these sulfur kind of mud springs that bubble all year round, by the way. Stuff's coming up from the center of the earth. You know, uh, Old Faithful is another example of that kind of volcanic activity. But there's a lot of it around here. And there's areas when you go through Yellowstone, you can walk on the trail. You know, it's a wooden trail that they built. And you can traverse over some of these areas. But if you step down in it, it shit's 180, 200 degrees. And it stinks like mud and sulfur. It's horrible smelling. But these two assholes came out here about a month ago. They were camping. And they wanted to cook their chickens. What? So guess what they came up with? Drop them they in the- tried to cook their whole chickens inside of a steaming sulfur spring. <laughs> Did it work? What's happening? No, it got them arrested. Probably, it probably cost them about $10,000 and they're banned from the park for life because they're too stupid to be allowed in. They probably filmed it for like TikTok or something. That happened a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago, a couple of kids from uh, from Canada were down here in the summertime, and they were taking movies and selfies of each other walking around in this shit. Now they were tiptoeing around; they were careful, but still, you're not supposed to do that. You know, you could die from that shit. There's rules and stuff in the park, and these kids were playing around, and they they got they got nabbed, and they they went to jail. All right, so yellow, so Yellowstone's overrated. Go yes. through it to say you've been, but so give us a place. Where's a place somebody should visit before they die? Okay. But if, if I, I think I, here's why I love Cody. I came out here when I was 22 years old. I had $80 in cash in my pocket. I had a MasterCard with a $120 credit limit on it. So I was just broke dick poor, right? But I didn't care. I was 22 years old. And I came out here with a buddy of mine from Minnesota. I had never been west of Minnesota. I'd never seen mountains. You know, I lived in Pittsburgh. They call them mountains, but those are mountains. Those are hills. I hate to break it to anybody in Pittsburgh. I love you guys. 10 and 0, go Steelers. Perfect. However, those are not mountains. Those are hills. But, and I saw hills, but I never saw mountains. So when I first came out here, I just fell in love. I, 22 years old, I said, someday I'm going to live here. And I, in 1998, which was 22 years later, I built my house here. So wow. I love this area and I love it because there's a lot of history here and I'm, I like American, I, I, I like Western American history in particular. I love all history, but Western American history. I love native American history. Um, I used to be a lot more into it than I have in the last few years. I used to read a lot of it and especially the, the native American history in and around the area that I live, you know, the little Bighorn is about an hour and a half from me actually. So there's just a lot of history here. Um, but instead of going 45 minutes east of here to get into Yellowstone with a couple hundred thousand idiots, if you go north of where I live, about 16.3 miles, actually, um, there's an area called the Chief Joseph Path Pass, and it cuts up through a mountain range called the Beartooth Mountains. It is the most scenic, it's the most scenic part of the United States I've ever seen. It, you feel like you're in Switzerland. You know, like Sound of Music kind of Switzerland. Wow. It's so beautiful um, that people should see it. And then if you're into history, um, 
absorb some of that. But, you know, I also, you know, I like New Orleans, you know, depending on my mood for about five minutes or so. I mean, I like, yeah, it's five minutes. I could go to New Orleans for a weekend, but then I'd have to get out. Um, yeah, New Orleans is a great visit town, not a live town. Yeah, it's like Vegas. Yeah. You know, I got a 72-hour limit on Vegas. <laughs> by, the, by the time I get to the 65th hour or so, I'm, I'm ready to pack my shit and jog to the airport. Are you a gambler? Are you a show guy? What are you doing in Vegas? You know, I like shows because um, I, I love to watch people perform and again, try to, you know, take in the, just the process of what they do. And, you know, we've seen some amazing shows, the blue man group and things like that. Um, some comedy um, and music, obviously, but not, not much beyond that. Uh, honestly, I, we don't gamble. I, I bet you, you know, I've been to Vegas maybe conservatively a hundred times. Um, I bet you, I haven't spent a total of $2,000 gambling wow. in, to in total. I just don't like it. Like once in a while, if I'm bored, you know, I'll play nickel slots or something just to kill some time. Yeah. Um, but I don't like it. I don't like it. I'll spend money like a motherfucker. I'll burn. I'm a torch when it comes to money. But I want something back for it. Yeah. I, I want a new pair of leave cash on the table and walk away with no tangible benefit. God damn. I'm horrible with money. And even I know that's a bad idea. Yeah. It's uh, well, I think the older you get and the more times you go to Vegas, you realize there's more to it than the gambling part. I can get great meals. Like you said, great shows, the whole deal. Both Lori and I love to people watch. Um, that to me, that's all, the most fun for me. Um, but we do both. We both are, you know, I don't know, foodies, whatever that is. We love to eat. Yeah. We love to eat really good food. And there's really, really good food in Las Vegas. So mm. I, I if I go to Vegas it's because I and all that is fun for me, but um, just to watch, to people watch, don't get any ideas, Cassio. You don't know me that well when I said <laughs> slutty moon, but, but, but I love the energy of it all. Um, I just don't feel the need to partake in it. I'd rather just sit back and watch people lose their money or in some cases be all excited because they won. I, I would rather live vicariously through their expenses or through right. their experiences than have to pay for it myself. Expenses is the right word with live through their expenses. All right. You mentioned, um, you mentioned also the, the history of the, the West there, which brings me, I want to talk about uh, your run at, uh, at brewing. That's fascinating to me, getting your own beer, getting your own brewery, Buffalo Bill Cody beer. Uh, just tell, talk about that experience and what it was like. Was it, I mean, was it, did, was it more than you anticipated? Was it less? I, just tell me the whole experience. It's fascinating to me. Yeah. And I'll, I'll try you know, cause you know, if you've listened to 83 weeks and I know you have, I'm, I'm a talking son of a bitch. So I love it. Well, yeah, but listeners sometimes <laughs> it's a little too much. So I'm going to try to stay focused. Okay. I won't go off the rails on you, but I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. It's just something since the time I was four or five years old when I ran away from home. Yes, I did. 
and realized I had no money and I wanted to get on a bus to go to my cousin's house. Even at that age, I knew I had to have some money. So I went around my neighborhood and I picked up pop bottle caps, collected them, put them in a brown paper bag, and then sold them door to door. And I actually made money because who's going to turn away a five-year-old kid selling a pop bottle cap? Nobody. So from that moment on, I've been an entrepreneur. And that's a really good thing. And it's also a really bad thing. It's a burden that you're blessed with. Because it's a, it, my life has been this, up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, financially. I've had a blast the whole time, no matter what. But financially, it might, if you looked at my you know, revenue, my income over the last 30 years, you'd go like, what the hell? Um, but being an entrepreneur, Lori and I, you know, we're, we're here in Wyoming. To my point earlier, you know, half a million, million people come through town and they buy every gimmick you can buy as you're coming through. Oh, a rubber tomahawk. Let's buy a rubber tomahawk. Oh, a $2 t-shirt for $19.95 that says Cody Wyoming on it. Yeah. You know, so I'm, and being the, you know, whore that I am, I'm thinking to myself, what if, this is what always gets me in trouble, Cassio, always gets me in trouble. <laughs> I'm sitting outside on, on, on the porch of, my, of the Silver Dollar Barn Saloon, downtown Cody, Wyoming, beautiful summer day with my bride. I'm eating some onion rings, really good onion rings, by the way. Eating some onion rings. I've got ice cold beer. Well, actually, I got six in a bucket, but I'm drinking one of the six. And I say to myself, honey, what if we created our own beer and what if we were able to get the trademark for Buffalo Bill Cody? Because I'm smart enough to be dangerous. You know, like Michael Dawkins knows a lot of knuckleheads like me, right? <laughs> guys that think they know how to trademark shit themselves. Sure. And, and, right. I'm one of those guys, or I was, I used to be. I'm a reformed trademark expert. <laughs> <laughs> I went through the 12 step program. Each one of those steps probably cost me about a hundred grand. <laughs> it was the most expensive education known to man. But you know, so I get these ideas in my head. And again, the disease that I was born with, unfortunately, or at least contracted when I was four and have been able or have been afflicted with my entire life as an entrepreneur is I go, well, I can do that. I can figure this out. And I do. And I can. And I did. But here's what happened in my theory, my, my, my sales pitch to myself and to my wife, although she was, she was all about it. She's been very supportive with every stupid idea I've ever had. She supported it um, because she loves me, not because she agreed with it. But I, I thought, all right, I'm going to go on trademark or USPTO, US Patent and Trademark Office.gov. It's called USPTO.gov. You can click on any, any idiot can do it. I, I, I'm living proof and you can go on there and you, there's an area there. You go search trademark and then you plug in whatever it is you want to trademark and up pops all of the potential conflicts or other people that have that trademark or whatever. Right. So I get home and I start Google searching Buffalo Bill Cody beer on USPTO.gov. Go play with it. Like when you're really bored, you think you've got a great idea, entertain yourself. It's better than porn for an entrepreneur. For an 18-year-old, probably not. But um, 
I'm going through the whole list through the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, and nobody has a trademark on anything related to Buffalo Bill Cody, which That's- I found to be amazing because Buffalo Bill Cody at one time was the was Elvis, the Beatles, and Michael Jackson all rolled into one. He was the most famous American personality anywhere in the world. He toured, his, his Buffalo Bill Wild West show toured all over Europe in Asia, in North America. He was famous. Asia. Yeah. He's going well, everywhere. I'd have to check Asia. I need to be, when, yeah, I, when I say Asia, show. I meant like India, Asia, not necessarily China, is Asia. This, uh, is this Annie Oakley's with him and stuff? Annie Oakley was with him. Yeah. You know, there's some famous Indian chiefs, you know, that he actually fought at one point. We're a part of the tour. They they shipped their horses over. All the Native Americans that were a part of the show went over. Annie Oakley went over. They brought a lot of their own whiskey because they were all alcoholics. And they would go over on a boat and then start touring. And the United Kingdom and Germany, France, they were in France a lot. Um, so anyway, El- Buffalo Bill Cody was so famous. I couldn't believe that nobody had trademarked anything with Buffalo po- Bill Cody. So here's where I get dangerously smart. Mark- Mike Dawkins will attest to this. And I haven't done this with Mike because I've, I've since learned my lesson. But I thought, all right, now I'm going to see, because uh, there's all kinds of really cool old Buffalo Bill Cody Wild West show posters that are all from the late 1800s and early 1900s, which means they're in the public domain, right? Nobody owns the trademark on them, right? Anybody can use them for whatever they want. Put them on a t-shirt, coffee cup, doesn't make a fuck. It's public domain. So I thought, what if I could get one of those posters, get it to an artist that modifies it slightly so that it is capable of being trademarked because you can't just trademark something that already exists. You have to take that image, tweak it a little bit. It's like changing up a song, you know, right. change a couple of bars in it. You can get away with it. Remix. Yep. So we changed up the design a little bit. You can't, if you take one of the most famous Buffalo Bill Cody posters, you know, out there and you put it next to the label of our beer, you, you won't be able to tell the difference without a magnifying glass. Right. So I'm, I said, I'm going to try this. So I call my attorney. I'm, this is where I'm going to speed it up. I call my attorney and I'm in the trademark copyright business. I mean, I produce television for a living at this time, lots of it. So we've got an attorney, you know, standing by that knows this shit really well. So I call him, his name's Scott. I said, Scott, here's what I want to do. Sent him the artwork, told him what I wanted to do. I said, how much is it going to cost me to trademark Buffalo Bill Cody beer? He said, ah, man, maybe 10 grand, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. Okay. 10 grand. I'll take a flyer on 10 grand. So we go through the process. A couple of weeks later, comes back. He says, "Ah, you know, a few little complications out there, and we didn't really see, you know. And by the way, it's not on USPTO, so you wouldn't have seen it. So we're gonna have to put a little more work and time into this." I said, "Okay, I'm now I'm into a ten grand." I said, "All right, how much more?" He said, "Maybe another five, six. I said, "Okay, I'll eat five or six. Comes back. Same process. Now I'm into it for another eight or 10. So my tab right now is getting close to 30 grand, right? Oh, no. No, fuck. This is just the beginning. So then we go through the actual process. Now, once you go through the initial processes of applying for the trademark, and if you don't get bounced back, if you know the trademark examiners don't have issues and things like that, 
Then you go on to the next process. Now, the next process is when your proposed trademark is published. And I don't know where they publish it, but evidently anybody that owns a trademark gets some kind of publication. And anyway, the government publishes it, makes it public record so that if anybody objects to it or has an objection for any reason, they can object with the USPTO and they'll figure it out. The government trademark office will figure it out or, or you will, you know, as opposing parties, you can come to a settlement, give you 50 bucks, give you a thousand bucks, give you a case of beer or give you a hundred thousand dollars, whatever the case is. This is your chance though. This, yeah. This is where, now this is the last step. So lo and behold, some jackass in the town I live with, live in, he actually owns a hotel. He actually owns the hotel that Buffalo Bill Cody built in 1907 and he named it after his daughter. The name of the hotel is the Irma Hotel. That was Buffalo Bill Cody, Cody's daughter's name. Well, this guy owns this hotel, and he thought he was going to come out with his own beer, but he never went through the trademark process. But he's an old guy, stubborn as the day is. He's an old cattle rancher that made a fortune in land in Colorado, and he came up here and bought this hotel and restaurant. So we get into a pissing contest, and I'm going to save you the boring details in the education because hopefully I've talked to anybody that's listening to this out of trying to do anything that I'm talking about. Um, when it was all done, all done. Oh, by the way, made the front page of the business section in the wall street journal, Google it, Buffalo bill, Cody beer brawl. I shit you not. Tells the whole story. You it's can still find it. On- that's your real life. You can find it online to this day. I did about a month ago or two. Somebody was interested in the story. So I Googled it and forwarded it to him. That's awesome. Made the front of the Wall Street Journal business page because of this legal battle we were having over a Buffalo Bill Cody trademark. It was hot news around here. Well, around the country, actually. End of story. I won. Okay. Guess how much it cost me to win. Oh, no. No. Give or take 200 grand. Oh, no. Wait, that's plus what you've already got in it? The total. Yeah, By the okay. time we were done, my total legal expenses, expenses to prove that I did everything right and they did everything wrong. They had no stand. They had no basis. They did nothing the right way. <laughs> I did everything the right way. And it cost me 200,000 of real dollars, not oh, money that I geez. borrowed or raised or took a second mortgage on my house. None of that. Right. This was money I took out of my checking account over a period of time. I didn't have 200 grand laying around with nothing to do, but over the course of about a year and a half or two years, about two years, but when I was all said and done, it cost me about 200 grand to win. And then I had to go figure out how to brew beer. <laughs> Which I did. And, and I got some great distribution. You know, we were one of the top selling beers in the state of Wyoming. That's kind of like talk about being a big fish in a little pond. And this was really before, you know, craft beers really exploded. I mean, they were getting big and they were getting popular, but here in Wyoming, not so much because around here, you know, you either drink bud or Coors. That's it. Or it used to be back then. It's changed now. Um, so I was one of the first craft beers in this area, local. 
uh, craft beers. I found a contract brewer down in Fort Collins, Colorado. Excellent brewer, brewers, by the way. Um, they contracted beer for us. I got distributors in Wyoming, Montana, um, Arizona. We had Phoenix, you know, all that. Uh, Las Vegas. We were into Las Vegas and Colorado. So we had, you know, five, six states and we were growing. But the problem is we only had one beer. And what, what I learned as an entrepreneur who jumped into something he knew nothing about, I didn't know what I didn't know. Conrad gets sick of hearing me say that because I use that all the time because I've lived that. Um, I didn't realize that, you know, if you're, if you're going to be in the beer business and you want to compete with Coors and Miller and all the other big breweries, as well as a lot of the big microbreweries now, you've got to have six, seven, eight, nine different varieties of beer under your brewery banner. You don't sell one skew. They just don't make room for it. It's too much work for them. It's the same amount of paperwork to keep track of an account that delivers one beer a week as it is to keep track of one distributor that delivers 80 different types of beers a right. week. So if you're if you're a retailer, you're going to take the path of least resistance and not go through a lot of extra work just to have one beer. So we learned that the hard way. And I still am the proud owner of the trademark. If you Google it, if you go to USPTO.gov, type in Buffalo Bill Cody beer. Boom. Beer, hats, jackets, mugs, keychains, trinkets, tchotchkes, vibrators, you name it. I've got the right to put a Buffalo Bill logo on it. Wait, do you still see the guy at the Irma? You know, it, it's a father and son, and I want to, you know, I want to be respectful. The father, he was like old as dirt when this thing started going on back yeah. in 2011. Mucker father is still walking. I don't know how. Because he smokes about eight packs of cigarettes a day and lives on cheap whiskey, but he's still alive. Uh, now it's the old man that I, I had an issue with. His sure. son, we get along, but we got to do it, you know, discreetly. Can't do it in front <laughs> yeah, of dad. In the shadows. All right, that's a, that's a hell of a story just to get a bear off the ground. Yeah, well, lesson lesson learned. You know, <laughs> I, I know more about. You know, I don't know more about trademark law than Dawkins, but I bet you other than a practicing trademark attorney, I could probably You're fake right it better than anybody you know. Are you still, uh, are you still, is Cold Smoke still number one? Yeah, it's the best. Number one beer. For me, Cold Smoke, Scottish Ale. I love Scottish Ale. It's a richer, heavy, you know, it's a heavy, it tastes like a heavier body beer but it's not that filling. It's, it's really weird. It tastes full on your palate, but it's what they refer to as here. Here we go. Here's something else I learned for $200,000. <laughs> um, it's a, I, wait, I got to say it right. It's a session beer. Oh yes. Do you know what a session beer is? No. You had one. That's what you and I drink. That's what, that's what you and I drink when we're going to pound about six or eight of them okay, that's it. in a session. That's what we need. As opposed to an IPA, which is a not not a session beer because heavy. they're so heavy and rich and powerful, they're more of a dinner beer. Like if you're going to have, you know, you're going to have a really really good steak with a a beer that you like. If you like IPAs, really hoppy beers, you're going to pick a beer that has the kind of hops that goes with your steak, like wine snobs do. Only you're a beer snob. That's what that kind of beer is. It's made for, to have one or two, and then you really don't want any more. Um, but a session beer. I liked session beers. And when I created my flavor profile, listen to me talk like I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Right? 
when I, we created our flavor profile, I said to the brewer, I want it to be light like a Pilsner because, I, you know, I used to drink a lot of beer. I don't anymore. But I used to drink, you know, I could sit down and drink six, eight beers. No problem. You know, in a couple hours in an afternoon out with my friends and stuff. Um, but you can't do that with heavy beers. So I thought, well, if I want to sell volume, I don't want a heavy beer. I want something that's light, fresh, um, that even women would drink. Why not broaden the market? Um, so my beer was really light. But the reason I like cold smoke, uh, Scottish Ale, is because it, it's got a full taste and flavor, but it's not filling. Have you had um, – I drink Kentucky bourbon barrel ale. Have you had that? No. No. I mean, it's more of a bourbon flavor, but when you when you when I heard you talk about cold smoke the first time, that's what it reminded me of. Of just a yeah, different there's, a, kind of beer. there's so many good beers out there now. Um, I, I'm, when it comes to beer now, like I said, I don't really drink it that much. I, I I do, you know, I'll drink a Coors every now and then, you know, if I'm out or whatever, but not like <laughs> nothing like I used to. <laughs> I was an avid, I was a professional consumer. Uh, my wife will tell you that, um, but. Like now I'll have a Pabst. Don't ask me why. It's a contract beer. There actually is no such thing as a Pabst brewery. Do you know that? No. It's a it's a logo, just like mine. So it's like a franchise. No, it's not even a franchise. It's a logo. And what the people that own the logo do is the same thing that I was doing. I own the trademark and a copyright for Buffalo Bill Cody beer. And then I would go down to Fort Collins Brewing and, and I gave them the flavor. I mean, we worked on it together. It's not like I made it up. You know, I told right. them what I wanted. They created the profile. But, um, and I paid them to brew it and bottle it and ship it back to me. And then my distributor would pick it up and get it out into the marketplace. I didn't brew it. And there is no such thing as a Pabst brewery. They do the same thing. It's called contract brewing. And it's usually, you know, it's not bad beer, but it's not like a really good beer. Yeah. Um, it's cheap beer. But I, I like Pabst. Um, I like Iron City. Anybody that's ever lived in a Pittsburgh area will recognize Iron City beer. Um, it's the drizzling shits. It's <laughs> beer quality goes. But it reminds me of the time that I lived in Pittsburgh. And I broke my beer cherry when I was about 14 years old out camping with my buddy. Um, he stole two or three from his parents. I stole a couple from my parents. And we'd sit out there and just have all kinds of fun with the Playboy and, and a campfire. Um, an Iron City beer. An Iron City beer. And then the other one I, I'll drink, if I can get it, is Grain Belt, which is a local Minneapolis beer. Okay. Used to be now. It's changed hands a bunch of times. I don't know who brews it anymore, but. I used to, I'll drink that. I, I like cheap local beers, everyman beers. I don't, I'm not a snooty beer drinker. All right. Let's talk about, uh, let's talk about food. You, you talk about loving to cook, loving to make things from scratch. Do you have a food weakness? There's something that gets you every time. Not every time. I, you know, I'm really, it's funny that way. Um, no, my Are you a midnight snacker. No, no. I mean, I used to be. Um, again, you know, my, my diet has changed a lot over the last five or seven years. Um, not like I didn't wake up and go, Oh my God, I got to change my diet or anything like that. It's just, I like to feel good. And I've always been able to notice a very strong connection between whatever it is I ate or drank and how I feel my body's like, for example, I can't eat sugar. You know, and I'm okay. not a diabetic or anything like that. Not pre-diabetic. In fact, I'm as far away from it as you can get. I probably haven't had 
you know, like a cupcake or a piece of pie or, well, I'll eat pie on holidays. But for the most part, you know, last time I ate a candy bar, I don't know, 1967. <laughs> you know, really? I, I don't even know. I'm joking. I was probably not but that you were, long. But it was young. You were a long time ago. I was, yeah. Because I, I realized when I was young that sugar put me to sleep. Like if I had a candy bar when I was in school, my fucking head would hit the desk like I was taking <laughs> Xanax. It would bounce. It would make noise. I just, blah. And, and then I, as I got into my teens, you know, I wrestled in high school and things like that and was worked out a lot and was physical. And I just noticed that if I had anything sweet, um, I would just lose all motivation. Then I, I read a book called Sugar Blues back in 1976. And I, and then I understood why I felt the way that I did because sugar is really evil and it's in everything. You know, you've got to make a conscious effort to stay away from sugar uh, because they give, you know, when they process foods, they give sugar all kinds of different names. They don't call it sugar. It's all, there's 30 different names for sugar and you don't recognize them unless you're a chemist or in the food processing business. So people think they're getting something sugar-free and they're not. So I had to make a real effort to stay away from sugar. Well, in the process of learning all of this and adjusting my diet so that I was, I felt the way I wanted to feel based on whatever it is I was doing, um, I started fine-tuning my diet very, very early on. And now, for example, I eat under 25 carbs a day. The average person probably eats three to 400 carbs a day. Okay. Um, I focus on nutritional fat. People hear fat. Oh, fat's bad for you. No, fat's not bad for you. Bad fat's bad for you. But nutritional fat is really, really good for you. For example, you know, I get my blood work done just as a routine because, you know, I'm 65 years old. I want to stay ahead of my shit. I don't want to find out six months after I have something that I have it. I want to know before (laughs) I have something. So I go in and get a blood panel done twice a year and inevitably my doctor will come back to me and go, what the hell? What, what do you do? My cholesterol is off the charts. Good. You know, none of the risk factors that are normally associated with Americans, my age, I have zero of them. My blood panel is probably better than most 30 year olds because of my diet. So because of that, I don't eat a lot of snacks. When I do have a craving for something, I would say Indian food Really, really good Indian food. Uh, you know how when you're certain foods will make your jaws tighten up, you know, you just get a physical reaction to something really, really good. That's me with Indian food, really spicy Indian food, the kind that makes you sweat down the back of your head. Not your eye. Oh. Anybody can make you sweat on your eyebrows. That's bullshit. <laughs> that doesn't mean a fucking thing. When you can feel the drips of sweat pouring down your back, bam. That's, That's where it hits bitch off in the sweet spot right there. That's hot. And I have a crave. I'll, I'll crave that every once in a while. All right. We're going to have to adapt. We're going to hit the countdown in just a second. Cause we're going to have to, I'm going to have to adapt one of the questions since you don't eat sugar. Cause I, I usually ask everybody about little Debbie's. That's kind of the gimmick here, but we're going to, I'm going to have to switch it since you don't eat sugar. Well, you I used to when I was a kid. Debbie? No, of course. When I was a kid, like before I, you know, when I was like six, eight, 10, 12 years old, <laughs> I pound those fuckers like they were nothing. I, <laughs> my mom would go get a big box of little Debbie's and 
a day later, they'd be gone and I'd be getting yelled at. Oh, All right, says so I'm gonna switch it out of the I'm gonna give you a better question in the countdown since you since you hadn't had it in a while, but give me one little Debbie. What would you say is favorite? Anything? Oatmeal cream pie, star crunch, nutty buddy. Zebra what were they called? Cake. Ding dong? Were they called ding dongs? Yeah, ding dongs were like the cupcakes kind of. Yeah, no. Was was no, they were they were like a long cupcake. They looked like elongated cupcake not a round cupcake but long okay yeah kind of like a twinkie shape yeah i remember that one i i ate the hell out of that one and then there was one i don't know what the name of it was um i didn't know there was different varieties of little debbies but (laughs) it was uh it was cake and it was covered in a hard chocolate shell with you know walnuts on top walnuts yeah that was awesome i love those I'm going to have to look into that one. All right, let's get to, uh, we got two things. We're going to do the, the countdown to end it. But since you've talked about it and anybody listens to uh, 83 weeks, uh, you've even said it, you like to get in the weeds a little bit with some of your answers, which is what some people love. Some people don't love. I love. You, uh, uh, to me, it just shows the passion of whatever you're talking about. But we're going to try, and I can't, I, I don't know if you can do it, but we're going to get, I'm going to shoot out a word. You give me one word answer. You can be anything. Word association. See this. See this feels like now. I feel like I'm in seventh grade again, and Mrs. Field, my teacher, is going to call on me in class. And Vivian <laughs> Shostak, the hot little chick that lives down the street, is sitting to my right, and she's going to see how dumb I am because Mrs. Field is going to call on me and she's going to ask me a question I should know the answer to or I should be able to respond to quickly and thereby impress little Vivian Shostak. She was my first crush. <laughs> That's what I feel like right now. Vivian, don't listen to this. Some of these are going to be guttural. I mean, I don't think you're having a problem with a lot of these. I'm nervous. Some of them are names. Some of them are items. It's all right. So for let's go out of the gate. Shivani. Class. Zabisco. Full of shit. (laughs) (laughs) Like you said it fast. So it's one word. All right. We'll we'll say shitful. I don't even know if that's a word, but we just made it up. <laughs> I like shitful. All right. Hockey talk. A clown. Uh, AEW. Exciting. NXT. Not so much. <laughs> WWE. Amazing. Hockey talk. Did we just do hockey talk? Oh, you did it. Yeah. Yeti. 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 Legendary. I dressed up as Yeti for the hollow, all Hollow's Eve havoc on Patreon. <laughs> you know, certain things are so bad that they become cool and good. Yeah. You, you know, and, and, and Yeti is an example. People will be talking about Yeti and Ron Reese, the character that played Yeti. Not many people know his name. He's a but great they guy. know Yeti. And they will be talking about him for as long as professional wrestling exists. Got the privilege to meet him at StarCast. An absolute great guy. One of the nicest people you'll meet. All right, let's keep going. He's also the tallest person with the shortest arms in America. What? He's got pterodactyl arms. (laughs) I'm going to have to go look at it again. (laughs) He really is a giant human. No, he's huge. He's, he's like, he's legit almost seven foot tall, but his arms aren't any longer than mine. It looks funky. <laughs> All right. Let's keep going. Conrad. Oh, 
Brilliant. Okay. Tans. Who? Tan. Tans. Tan? Yeah. Tans. I'm looking for one word to say <laughs> what I want to say. How do I say the most important asset an entertainer could possibly have in one word? Important. There you go. That's boring, though. But go ahead. <laughs> I'll take it. I can't think of anything better, so we'll take it. All right. Uh, eggnog. A guilty pleasure. Oh. Okay. Yeah, it's my Xanax. I'll have it. I'll have it at Christmas because I have to. Now, there'll be massive amounts of Jameson mixed with it, but because right. um, that's so good. <laughs> but they're so But... 45 minutes after I drink that thing, I'll be sleeping with my dog in the corner of the room. All right. Pizza. Important. 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 It's important. Pizza I thought you were going to hate it. No, I love pizza. I thought it had carbs. It's going to have some kind of. You know, oh, it does. It does. But just because I don't eat stuff like that every day, like. Once a week or once a yeah, maybe once every two weeks, not more than once a month. Mrs. B and I will either make one from scratch or we'll we'll buy one. What's perfect pizza? Well, perfect What's pizza for it? me. I'm I'm a basic. I like thin crust, sausage, pepperoni, mushrooms, lots of extra tomato, uh, heavy onion, and occasionally uh, jalapenos. Yeah. All right. Let's go back to one words here. Uh, beer. Beer. Yeah. Nectar. Heyman. Who? Complex. Okay. Meltzer. I, I want to be kind here, really. For, for people that are listening to your show who listen to 83 Weeks, <laughs> I go off on Meltzer all the time. I know many of them think that that's just an act. You know, Meltzer tells people, oh, he's, he's, that's a work. He's just being a character. So I want to be really careful here and, and be as gracious as I can be. Um, smegma. <laughs> Do you know what smegma is? Is that dick cheese? Yep. It's the foul-smelling <laughs> cheese-like substance that forms on the end of an uncircumcised penis. <laughs> All right. All right. I, I, you know, I had some guess, I guesses there. It was not smegma. <laughs> All right. Last few here. Uh, what we got? Pillman. Oh, wow. Pillman. Um, boy, that's a tough one. Um, tough one for me. Emotional. Sorry. Your word. I, I, you know what? The first thing that came to my mind was sad. Okay. But being a producer at heart, I don't want to give people the wrong impression. Sad because his life was cut so short. Right. And he could have been so much more. He could have he could have reached such higher levels of success than he did had he not gotten, you know, fucked up with drugs and shit. Um in a in a pretty amazingly bizarre life. You know, he went through a lot. So not being critical or anything, but man, the, the guy could have 
He could have been legendary. He, he could have been Bret Hart status. He could have been Ric Flair status. He could have been. All right. Uh, Greg. Greg who? You do the math. Ganya? Yeah. Phony. <laughs> Social media. Wow. That's a good one. Dangerous. Okay. And last one. Alvarez. Now this is a little Jock sniffing writer. Like this is like Dave Meltzer's CP3O, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> You're on the right track. That's I'll just go with Jock sniffer. Okay. I was about to say, you had some good ones going in there. That's good. Uh, all right. Well, oh, one more. I forgot one more because we, we took one out unions. Fuck, Cassio. You, it's hard you, for one word. It's hard for one word, and I and because I feel I'm torn. You know, I've I've talked about it. Um, there's your one word. word torn. Is tough, huh? There's your word torn. Torn. Okay, good. Thank you for your help. I appreciate it. For a guy that doesn't know how to shut the fuck up, these one one word challenges. I know torture. That's why I did it. I wanted to see. You did way better than I thought. By the way. Uh, well, thank you for that. <laughs> Vivian, how'd I do, Vivian? <laughs> Want to go for a bicycle ride after school? Maybe let me hold your hand or whatever. She's impressed. Peel off She's those Bobby Bricks and let me do what I please. <laughs> <laughs> She's super impressed right now somewhere. She was uh, so hot, Cassio. I mean, I, I was... Vivian. Vivian Shawsack. S, no, yeah. S-Z-O-S-T-A-K. Vivian Shawsack. school? Huh? Have you seen her since school? Oh, no, not since like the fifth grade or sixth grade, but she's okay. still on my mind. Nice. Vivian out there somewhere. She's out there somewhere. I don't know if she'll hear this or not, but yeah, it, what what could have been, Vivian? <laughs> All right, we do the countdown 10 to 1. Uh, you can do whatever you want with these. You can be as long or as short as any of these. All right, this is a good to know, Eric Bershoff. 10, name something that's a perfect 10 in your life. My marriage. Boom. Number nine. Nine, of course, is the German word for no. Name something you wish you could write off. Like financially write off or write off like it never happened? No, like no more. It's no more. Oh, like I'm not going to do it anymore? Yeah. Or you wish it didn't exist or you wish we'd be better without it, whatever. Taxes. Taxes. All right, here we go. Number eight. What's What do you want when you die? What do you want to be the last thing you ate? So what's your last meal? You can mix and match. You can go home cooking, mix with a restaurant somewhere, top to bottom. What do you got for your last meal? I would like to eat myself to death at a sushi bar. <laughs> yeah. Just all of it they can bring. And right. I'll even eat some bad fugu. You know what fugu is? Fugu is no. that uh fugu is a, a type of fish that um when it's prepared the sushi chef has to be really careful how they uh, cut the fish up because if they pierce the fish's bladder, there's a poison in it. Oh, and you can die from this shit. You can really die from it. So it's, it's a delicacy because it's dangerous. See people that are really smart, love to live on the edge, even when they eat fish. So when you're eating it, the chef that's preparing it, they have to be licensed. That's how dangerous this fish is, but because oh. it's so dangerous and it's shrouded in mystique and because some people dig the fact that whatever you can eat might kill you in an instant, almost like a James fucking bond movie. Um, 
it's a real rarity in Japan and I've had it and loved it. Want to hear a quick story? Bring it. I promise. I don't mean to eat up all your podcast time. I got nothing to do today. Go. You may have some important mucker fathers waiting in line. I'm just taking up all their time. I got nothing. Sonny Ono and I go to Japan. One of the first times he and I go to Japan together. And all I did was eat and drink. Like, because that's what Japanese do. They take you out to dinner. They entertain you. Japanese are great hosts. So one night, Sonny and I, we finally get some time by ourselves. and We weren't part of a big party and business and all that. We just want to go hang. And I told Sonny, I said, I want to go to the sleaziest part of Tokyo. I don't want to go to the, I don't want to go to the Ginza. I don't want to go to the place, you know, the most expensive square footage in the world. I don't want to go though, those places. I want to go where like the workers go. I want to drink in a Japanese bar, not a cool bar, tourist bar. Yeah. So he takes me into this part of Tokyo. It's called Shinjuku. All of the boys know it because that's where uh, the Kiyo Plaza, which was the hotel that New Japan used, was only a half a mile from the from Shinjuku. So we go in there. It's seedy as fuck, but it's cool. Like that's where all the yakuza hang out. You see yeah. them all standing out in front of the the tiny little video stores, and they're smoking their cigarettes and looking like badasses. You know, they weigh all of about eighty pounds. Doesn't mean they're not badasses, but still, it's just weird. And we're walking around, we're drinking, and finally we get a little bit outside of the seediest part of Shinjuku, and we find this fugu bar that specializes in fugu. So I like saying fugu. Fugu. Yeah, it's like when, when whenever Trump says China, he doesn't say China, he says China. <laughs> I say fugu. And fugu, China, fugu. So and we shouldn't say it like you if we ever order fugu. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. But I like saying it. I entertain myself and we go into this fugu restaurant and it's a nice restaurant. It's not seedy. It's pretty upscale, right? Cause it's expensive fish. So we sit down, server comes over, we order a big plate of fugu. And as I'm eating it, I go, cause that's what happens. You, you, you all your blood vessels and your air passages and everything all seize up. Right. I'm, and I'm sitting there, you know, Sonny doesn't know I'm fucking with him. Right. <clears throat> I'm, all the servers and shit are starting to fucking panic. <laughs> I just want to rib Sonny. I didn't want to rib the restaurant, but they took that shit really seriously. And, and um, I'm not sure if we got to finish our meal or not, but we left there. <laughs> And so they don't know it's poison until it's po- like, can they tell they've punctured the bladder? No, 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 no. So you're just taking a gamble. Yeah. But it's a, it's a safe gamble. People do it every day. Right. You know, I, I think if you went out and bought a raw fugu fish at the fish market and brought it home and said, Oh, I'm going to Google that. How do you do that? Honey, hand me that knife. <clears throat> and you've never done it before. Chances are you die. Right. But a, a trained sushi chef who's licensed, who's been to fugu school, at the University of Fugunomics, um, knows how to do it. I can't wait for the shirt, University of Fugunomics. Okay. So where you're eating yourself to death at a sushi bar with fugu. Yep. You don't even care if they pierce the butter because you're going out anyway. No, I wouldn't I wouldn't do I wouldn't eat myself to death on fugu because fugu doesn't really have much of a taste. It's the idea of eating it. Oh, it's it just the it's just excitement. Yeah. So I, I would I would go deep on yellowtail, like really, really good. Um, yellowtail. Um, I love monkfish liver. 
Monkfish liver. Monkfish liver is delicious. <laughs> I love uni. You know what uni is? I've heard of it. If you see it, it looks like a, like a, kind of a bronzy colored custard, right? Okay. What it actually is are, well, what they actually are, are the gonads of a sea urchin. The gonads of a, of a sea, sea urchin. They are the sexual apparati of a sea urchin. And how do sea urchin gonads taste? I love them. I eat the shit out of them. Put I'm a quail egg. Salty. Put a put a quail egg on it. Oh, oh, awesome. You're in. You're in. All right. So we're going whole sushi boat on the way out. Seven. When you were seven years old, what did you want to be when you grew up? A physical therapist. Really? My, yeah. My dad. Um, my, when I was really young, like maybe three or four years old, five years old, maybe at the most, uh, my dad had brain surgery. And he was a healthy, strong, physically active, kind of tough guy, liked to hunt fish, built shit, built built our first house. Him and a buddy of his built the house from the ground up. And then uh, he had these really bad headaches. And they found out that he actually had a hole in the spine where the spine connects to the cerebral cord or wherever. And he was, he was born prematurely. And when he was born, the spine never fully developed. So over the course, he was like when he was 25 years old or 28 years old, whatever, however old he was for all of his life, there'd been this little leakage of cerebral, cerebral fluid that would drain and end up kind of pooling up in that hole in the spine. And then it created pressure on a spinal cord and he had really, really severe headaches. So he had to have brain surgery. Now this is like 1960, maybe one. Maybe two. I don't think so. Maybe one or two. Um, and when he came out of that brain surgery, he was paralyzed. So at a very early age, because I had to live through, you know, my mom, well, I didn't have to live through it. My, I got, to, I had to watch it, but my mom had to live through that. And I was I, all the way up to the time I was a senior in high school. I wanted to be a physical therapist. So he had, he had rehab going on. So you thought you saw that as. Well, he couldn't him. afford, he could, he couldn't afford rehab and rehab wasn't a thing back then. You know, it was, oh, Sorry. You know, have to learn to live right. with it. Uh, but, you know, just watching him struggle and more, I think more than watching him struggle was watching my mom have to take care of him right. and his frustration. That's where it really, that's where it hit me. I could see, because I had to live it. We lived in a 750 square foot house with my mom and my dad and my brother and my sister and my grandmother smoked like a fucking fire. And I had to live with that and see all that as a young kid. And it, it, it was bad. It was not pleasant. So it made me, you know, once I got a little older and heard my dad talking about physical therapy and trying to exercise and trying to learn how to use his arms and trying to, he had no nerves, you know, his nerves is gone. And when they did the brain surgery, they destroyed the nerves that controlled the hands. And there was no real sophisticated, there was physical therapy. Don't get me wrong. Otherwise I wouldn't have known what it is, but it wasn't like physical therapy today at all. Right. Was there a conscious pivot later in life out of it or did it just. Yeah. When I was, in, when I was about in 10th grade, uh, ninth or 10th grade, the summer between my 10th grade year, and my 11th grade year, I worked in an animal hospital, which I absolutely loved. It was one of my favorite jobs. And all I did was like clean kennels and take care of cats and dogs and shit, feed them. And, uh, some of them might have to walk, you know, but I would also assist the doctor during surgeries. And I found that to be fascinating for, and for a while in high school, I wanted to be a vet because I've always loved animals. Um, but 
I'm not, you know, I've never been college material. So I, once I kind of realized by my junior year, early senior year, that college was not my calling, um, I had to kind of give up on the vet thing. And then I just went back to, you know, basically selling pop bottle caps out of a brown paper bag, only different. Made out of a truck, right? Eventually. Well, not really, but kind of, sort of. <laughs> that's the story made out of a truck. Yeah, that's a, that's a narrative. We'll just go with it. We'll, we'll just go with it because it sounds cool. All right. Uh, number six. How do you want to end up six feet under? How do you want to die? We've already covered that. Sushi boat? Fuck yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, I, w- I would have said, you know, years ago, I would have said having sex with my wife. But, that, you know, I don't want to leave that on my wife. I mean, that that would be a horrible thing to do to <laughs> someone you love, you know. Uh, there'd be some guilt there that would be tough to get rid of, I think. And you'd be blaming yourself and all kinds of stuff. So as much fun as that sounds, um, probably not a good thing for your partner. So since dying in the middle of an amazing sexual adventure doesn't really work, um, I'm going to go with a sushi boat. Do you ever think about like Jax from Sons of Anarchy? Just get on the cycle and go? Not to get heavy, but I have thought about you know, maybe we all have, maybe I'm just yeah. weird. I'm not sure. I think the, I think some people think about what if I was faced with catastrophic news? What if yeah. someone told me I had terminal cancer? What if somebody told me I had a brain tumor and I had a month to live? A spot where you didn't want to suffer. Yeah. Cause that, that's not going to work for me. I can t- we'll go on a record right now. Someday, <laughs> hopefully 25 or 30 years from now, somebody will go, fuck, he said it back then. And he was right. He meant it. Um, I've off cause I've had friends, unfortunately that have been through that and I've watched them go through that. Um, I don't have horses anymore, but I did up until a little, about a year ago, year and a half ago. And there's an area uh, that I used to ride a lot way up in the mountains, like 15, 18 miles up into the mountains. When I used to go elk hunting, we'd go up on horseback and it is some of the most beautiful scenery I've ever seen. And whether it is or it isn't, it's a you know, subjective opinion. But for me, it's special. So I feel really different when I'm there than I do anywhere else on the planet. And there's a certain stretch of that trail that we used to ride on that I could – the trail was that wide. Maybe that wide. I mean, like the horse had to be the good thing. Horses have a good, you know, self-preservation instinct. So, and they're very <laughs> sure-footed. So it's fucking scary though. You know, if you know a lot about horses and you've ridden a lot, you're not quite as nervous about it. But if you're a newbie, you swear to God, you're going to die. Because you're looking straight down for four or 5,000 feet. When you get to the bottom, there's nothing but rocks. But I, I thought at one point, I remember being up there and I'm thinking, man, if, if that ever happened to me and I got that bad news, I actually had planned it out. Not to sound morbid, but just to, to illustrate how determined I am never to be in the position that yeah. people are in sometimes. I think a lot if of I have anything, about that. If I have anything to say about it. Right. Um, but I, I figured, okay, I'm going to take my horse up here. His name is Lucky. And I'm going to get off that horse. I'm going to drop his saddle. I'm going to smack him in the ass because horses instinctively will always go back to where they started from. Always. Okay. They will find their way back. 
for sure. hundred out of a hundred times, they'll find their way back. So I would, I said, cause I don't want the horse to suffer. So I figured I'm just going to get up here where I want to be. I'm going to take my saddle off my horse. I take a deep breath of fresh air. Off I go. There you go. Well, that's the way, that's the perfect way out for you. You're, for at, a, you're at a place you love. You got there, enjoyed the ride. And, and you're going beautiful out. scenery. Not, and not that I want to do that, by the way. I don't Full want to make it sound appealing. <laughs> I want to say, like, I can't wait for it to happen. I hopefully it never does happen. That's gonna hopefully be I go in my sleep. You know, my father passed away in his sleep. So I'm, I'm aspiring, you know, at some point. And when, when it's my time, hopefully I'm, I'm going, you know, I'm going in my sleep. That'd be great. But if, if, if I was faced with the other situation, I know right where I'd be. Taking one last ride with Lucky. All right. Taking like one it. last ride with Lucky. I'd have to what? borrow a horse now. I don't have my own horse anymore, so I'd have to borrow one. <laughs> Somebody's going to be like, I, Eric's borrowing a horse. We might need to check on him. He's asking about yeah. horses. We need to check on if my, if my neighbor Doris down the road, she's a good friend of mine. She's an older lady that's got a bunch of great horses. And I go down and see her horses because I don't have my own anymore. So if she heard this, she's going to hear this. She knows she's going to hear this and go walk. He doesn't get to borrow any of my horses anymore. (laughs) I'm calling some people. All right. Five, five figure discount. What's the last thing you stole? Oh, accidentally from the grocery store, something from a hotel, walk out on a tab. Oh, that's a long time ago. If you're thinking this far, I mean, yeah. When I was a kid, you know, yeah. we used to steal model cars, you know, I don't think they even make, maybe they make them anymore. They come in a little box and you put these little hot rods yeah. together and paint them and put really cool tires on them and shit. They were like 75 cents or 50 cents if you bought one, but <laughs> we had more fun stealing them. Like when I was eight or nine, but I've always, I feel guilty really easily. That's okay. another weird part of my nature. I, I, I feel guilty if I think I might be doing something wrong. I'd be the worst criminal in the world. <laughs> I really, I would. You got the telltale heart. Your conscience is. I, I got. I've got no balls when it comes to doing anything wrong like that. Um, so I, I, I would have to say, you know, maybe a couple candy bars and a model car when I was a little back kid. in the day. All right. Now four. We usually do Mount Rushmore a little Debbie. Well, we discussed that. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna switch it up. Give me four. Let's go Mount Rushmore of TV shows. Ooh, good one. Current, past, all of the above. Yeah, now this is this you're not you're not telling us, hey, this is the definitive best shows ever. But just for Eric Bischoff, what's your top four TV shows of all time? MASH. Okay. Sky King. Sky King. You don't know that one, do you? No. Google it. I can't uh, wait to. <laughs> it was on Saturday morning, right before big time wrestling on CKLW out of Windsor, Canada. Um, it was my Saturday morning, you know, go to right before wrestling. Okay. It inspired me to learn how to fly an airplane, which I did. Um, was some, it like Airwolf? Is it like a drama? No, it was like a uh, he, he, Sky King. He was like a local rancher sheriff, but he f- had his own airplane. And whenever somebody was in trouble, they would call Sky King and he'd go search for the little kid or the lost dog or find the bank robbers oh. and all that kind of shit. From but he had his own plane. Clear blue a- of the Western sky comes Sky King. That was my favorite show. So much so that in 1997, 
six or seven, I got my private pilot private pilot's license and I bought my own airplane because of that damn show. Another learning experience. <laughs> I thought you were, I thought you were gonna say you tried to trademark Scotty. <laughs> no, but I bought a fucking two hundred fifty thousand dollar airplane that I didn't need. <laughs> Even a bigger game. All right, I like it. All right, we got Sky King, Mash, two more. Oh, Friends was a great show. I, okay. I like Friends, and uh, I Breaking Bad, man. Breaking Bad oh, changed everything. So good. So good. All right, three, three albums on a deserted island. So, again, kind of like TV show, you're not saying these are the three best albums, but you're stuck on an island, so you can go live, you can go a Greatest Hits album, whatever you want. Oh, now I have to figure out what kind of mood do I want to be in when I'm on that island? Because I pick my music based on the mood that I want to feel like some people okay. use drugs and alcohol. So I would probably, I would want to kind of raise my spiritual awareness. Cause if I'm on an Island, I better get my shit straight. Right. Right. Um, I'd probably go with Santana self-titled oh, album. Yeah. Smooth was on there. Um, yeah, probably okay. go there. I'd go hotel California because after all, I'm stuck on a fucking Island. I'm checking in and I can't check mind. out. Right. So, Plus it's got have, great tunes on it too. That's a good one. I have to. And then, uh, Fleetwood Mac Ooh. go your own way. Come on. Right. That would all be right. inspiration for me. All right. I like it. All right. Number two, you give me two concerts. The first concert you ever went to. And the last one you've been to. Well, last one I bought tickets for was, this, was the Rolling Stones until this fucking COVID thing hit. Now I get an <laughs> okay. announcement from Ticketmaster once a month saying, we're still TBD, fuckers. <laughs> it's the Rolling Stones. They're not going to be around that much longer. Fuck. <laughs> Just risk it. They need to go. They need to risk it. <laughs> no shit. If there was ever like, you know, what do they call that when you're a... a not a special needs. Uh, that's essential personnel essential, right there. Yeah, essential workers rolling. Because <laughs> it's shocking to me that they've been along uh, alive this long. How many times? Come on, Keith them? Richards. Keith Richards and Ric Flair are just they're gonna be they're gonna be around after we're all. They're gone. zombies. They're zombies. <laughs> how, how many times have you seen them? Oh God, a bunch. Two oh, days. the Rolling Stones never. Rolling oh, really? Stones, I've never seen them. And they came out in 1965 when I was in fifth grade, dude. I was listening to I Can't Get No Set. I used to have a garage band. Believe it or not, I had a garage band. Tony Passarelli was our drummer. Rick Reno was on lead guitar. Yours truly was lead vocals. And I, yeah, had, a tambor and I had a tambourine. <laughs> What's the first song you learned? I Can't Get No Satisfaction. <laughs> I Can't Get No satisfaction i can't get no girl how did you miss I, them throughout the years i could i could relate to that song because it's all about not getting laid <laughs> i thought it's going to be your entrepreneur spirit you're going getting laid i like it how did you miss those throughout the years how did you miss the stones you know i was never i was never Going to concerts was never my thing. Once yeah. I was old enough to actually go to a concert, you know, with my friends yeah. or by myself or with a date or whatever, it's just, I, I've never liked crowds. I'm, I'm not antisocial by any stretch, but I get almost claustrophobic around people, around crowds, not around people, but if there's too many of them, 
and they're yeah. too close together and too close to me, I start, it's not bad. I don't get like crazy or anxiety. Well, I get a little anxiety. I just don't like it. Is it the I fear of it could get out of control? No fear. It's not about fear. It's, okay. it's, it's, it's feeling constricted. Okay. I just, it, it's like, I, I, I'm not a hugger. Like some people are, some people are very much, ah, I'm not like that. You know, my wife and my kids different beyond that. You're getting a handshake unless there's something really special going on. I just, and it's not, there's no phobia. I'm not a germaphobe. I'm the opposite of a germaphobe. I, I immerse myself in so much bacteria and germs on a regular basis. And I'm absolutely convinced I'm impervious to whatever kills most people. Right. Um, Cause my immune system has been fighting this shit. <laughs> I don't wash my hands 30 times a day. And, you know, I will literally pick shit up off the floor and eat it. If it doesn't look too filthy, I just don't care. It's not that guy. But when I'm in a crowd, I never went to parties in high school for the, or college for the same way. I would get invited really? to big, you know, frat parties and shit like that. I'd, I'd walk in, grab a beer, and walk out, and I'd be down by nickel beers at the red carpet to say Cloud State All because right. I just I never didn't like crowds. To this day, I'll I go to bars that normally people. It's why I like to go to dive bars. You know, it's why I don't like going to nice fancy bars where the music's really loud, people are talking over each other. It's just like fuck this. Let's just sit in our space and enjoy the new evening. Absolutely. So do you remember your first one, your first concert? Did you ever? First concert, I think it was Elton John. Okay, that's strong. In the 70s. Yeah, early 70s. Yeah, like 72. So he was on top of the world. 72 or 73. Tumbleweed Connection was the album. Bernie oh. Taupin was his writer. Bernie Taupin was a great. When Bernie Taupin. And Elton John were together. And that was early, probably through Madman Across the Water. Uh, and then Bernie and, and and Elton quit writing. Listen to me sound like a fucking music historian. I, I don't I only Did know Did you watch this. the movie? No. Did you watch Rocket Man? No, I only know this because I loved Elton John's music. When I was All in right. college, I must have listened to Tumbleweed Connection three thousand times a month. Uh, but Bernie, if you if you go back and you you know you read the lyrics to a lot of Elton John's early music, especially in Tumbleweed and even Madman Across the Water, there's a lot of there's a lot of story, and a lot of that story, like Indian Sunset, I think that's on Madman. It's either Madman or Tumbleweed. I can't remember. I haven't listened to it in years, but Indian Sunset is a song that every time I hear it, it's one of those songs that I it takes me somewhere. I see a movie in my head when I hear that song. Where it's you that at? Good of a, that good of a story you're you're picturing the the lyrics as the movie I, I i was talking to do you know andrew pope i know the name andrew pope is a country western music he's from fort Payne, alabama super guy i he and i he did a he's launched a podcast he's a really really good musician country guy and you know real country like real country guy <laughs> old school no when i say that because country music now is very poppy you know, it's, yeah. it's, I guess it's still country music, but it, that's not the kind of country music I grew up on. Andrew loves real old school country music. Right. He's a young guy, but he and I were talking about, you know, music and how it, you know, how I relate to music and so forth. And I told him the same thing I'm telling you is for me, any song that allows me to close my eyes and picture a movie. And I do, you know, there are certain songs, um, Oh gosh, I, I wish I could remember his name now because he's a new artist that I just started listening to. Ben, 
Ben, Ben, Ben, Ben. I'll think of Ben's last name before I hopefully country? before we wrap. No, not country at all. He's uh he's British. He's uh I think he's Irish. Um, I love his music because his music is. I see a movie in my head when I when I hear that music. Uh, Indian Sunset on Mad Man Across the Water is an amazing story. I, I love Bruce Springsteen because Bruce Springsteen tells you a story. There's a movie in his music. Bob yeah. Dylan. I don't like, I could never get my head around Bob Dylan's voice. <laughs> Sounds like a fucking chainsaw. But if you read the lyrics to his music, they're amazing. Willie Nelson, Redheaded Stranger. Oh. Another amazing song that I used to listen to when Lori and I first met. We would drive back and forth between back and forth. I have a podcast. <laughs> but um, we would drive back and forth between Chicago and Minneapolis for a while. And we would in the summertime, we crank up Willie Nelson. And you know, I always used to love listening to Redhead Stranger. It's a redheaded stranger from Blue Rock, Montana. They rode into town one day, and it goes on from there. And it tells you this amazing, cool story. Um, I love that kind of music. Painting the picture. All right, number one, last one. If you had to pick an event, an episode, a pay-per-view, something uh, from your career, and you that was on your, I guess, video tribute after you're gone, what do you want to be on there? What do you want to be playing? Specific episode of Nitro, Raw, or pay-per-view. What do you want? If I had to pick an episode, I would pick Bash at the Beach 96 because that moment changed the industry forever, in my opinion. It 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 just changed so many things, and we didn't even know it at the time. Everything changed um, right then. Uh, but if I had to pick a scene that I was involved in, Chuck and Billy's wedding for WWE. Yes. Okay. Just the legacy and just what it was all about. Yeah. I mean, the business side of me, I think what I, at least in my mind, you know, have convinced myself I, I've accomplished in my career. I'm, I'm very proud of the fact that we changed the wrestling industry um, so much so that it's still manifest today. A lot of the things that we take for granted today are a result of things that I started in 1995 from a two hour live television show, which never happened before on a weekly basis to putting higher quality matches on TV. You know, I used to get my balls busted all the time by critics for, you know, putting, you know, pay-per-view quality matches on TV. Well, guess what? It worked, it worked for everybody. Everybody's business was elevated as a result and the pay-per-view business was elevated as a result. So it did no harm and it actually did great things for everybody. WWE, WCW, AEW wouldn't be around today if it wouldn't have been for what I did in 1995 with Nitro and 1996, because that caused the wrestling industry to explode to a level it had never, ever been. And no one ever thought it could be. And, People are still benefiting that from that today. People are still reaching for that level of success today. You say you didn't realize Bash of the Beach, how big it was at the time. When do you think you realized how big it really was? About two years ago when I started doing this podcast. Really? Yeah, because I've I've never Cassie, I don't I don't genuflect word of the day. I like to pick one word that I hardly genuflect. ever use. Use it. Genuflect. I don't I don't genuflect. I don't look backwards. I don't, I don't live in the past. I, I don't, I often joke about, you know, having a bad memory. It's not that I have a bad memory. I remember shit that I need to remember. 
um, or that's important. I just don't waste a lot of time and energy trying to remember shit that doesn't fucking matter. Um, but because of that, I didn't really think much about my career until we started doing the podcast and it forced me to, because I, I didn't enjoy it. Conrad and I were just talking about this this morning. We recorded a podcast. The first six, eight or 10 episodes that he and I did together, I'm surprised we, we got to 11, you know, especially after the first couple. He was, I made him miserable. I felt like, what the fuck? You know, um, <laughs> I was so off base because I was defensive. Um, I've been getting, you know, cr criticized and, you know, bullshit narratives of Dave Meltzer and whatever that little fucking CP3O jock sniffer punk that hangs around him is. Um, I've been listening to that stuff for 30 fucking years. And that's the part of me that was a little defensive. And when, you know, Conrad would, Conrad would, you know, back in 1996, Meltzer said this, and we're like, oh my God, I got to go through this again. Right. <laughs> but it got to the point where I got through that. I got through my own defensiveness. And I also learned that I kind of went into the podcast thinking, okay, well, that's what the audience wants. The audience wants red ass Eric. Conrad's going to be my protagonist or he's going to be right. the antagonist. I'm going to be the protagonist and we're going to fucking fight and argue. That's what the show is. We never discussed it. I just assumed that. So not only was I defensive, but I turned up the volume on the defensiveness to the point that Conrad probably was thinking, what the fuck? I mean, we, we got into it on one show that I, he was hot and I could tell it when we talked for a minute afterwards, after the show was over and we cleared it up pretty quick, but it wasn't pretty you know, the first few episodes, but once I got past the defensiveness of it all and learned to look at it in a fun way. Yeah. And, and I've never had a problem admitting mistakes. God knows I've made so many of them. I got used to that shit a long time ago. So it wasn't that, but for whatever reason, my whole perspective on things changed. And when it changed, it kind of like cleared the air. Maybe because I started thinking about it, putting things in perspective that I never really thought about before. Because I don't think I don't think about the past. I don't give it any of my energy. I don't let it take up any space in my fucking head. But when I'm doing the podcast, talking about that, I have to. And when I started really analyzing things and really going back and watching shows that I had never watched before, you know, I did it live. I was there, right. but I never watched it. And now going back and watching those shows to prep it it forces me to realize really bad mistakes and weaknesses and flaws. Part of that is just growing and maturing and getting experience now, 30 years later. And part of it is just dumb ideas. But I also see, I also see a lot of other things. And when, when you, when you, if, if you step for me, if I step back and go, okay, what was WWE in 1994? What was their business model? What was, what, how do they operate? What was their, how do they operate in 1997? Well, there was a drastic fucking difference. And guess how yeah. that came about? Cause they had to, they had to emulate our formula. They had to catch up to us. We forced WWF to change their entire creative model. And I'm proud of that. And it worked and it worked for them. They went public as a result of it. They turned into a billion dollar company. They're worth three, $4 billion. Even now when their stocks flying at half mass, they're still worth $3 billion. 
That would have never happened had it not been for the Monday Night Wars. The Monday Night Wars would have not happened had it not been been for me. And I know I sound like I'm you know going to hurt myself patting myself on the back, but it's true. Yeah. And I feel really good about that. So, um, from a business perspective, probably that Nitro, or excuse me, that pay per view in July 1996, because that was a real pivot point that changed a lot of people's lives for the better. Yeah. Even today. But from a performer's perspective, I've never done anything remotely as good <laughs> as that scene I did at Chuck and Billy's wedding. And that had nothing to do with me. That had everything to do with everybody else involved and the commitment that WWE made for the mask and all of that. I mean, it was just a really, really well-produced scene that probably anybody could have done, but I happened to be lucky enough to do it. Everybody go watch both of those right now when you get through this. And I, I'm going to clear the air because I, I had I was mad at you for many years, Eric. Because I sent well, in I my nitro so. I sent in my nitro tape to win a nitro party and you didn't pick it. And I'm gonna be honest, it was a fire nitro party. Okay. I don't know if you threw it straight in the trash or if it sat on your desk, but you killed me. I just knew we were gonna win a nitro party. I am so sorry. I, I knew the sorry. nitro girls were coming to Gadsden, Alabama. <laughs> I don't blame you for being hot, brother. <laughs> but, Shit. Uh, so, but thank you, man. I appreciate your time. It has been absolutely spectacular. I could talk for seven more hours with you. A uh, very fun time and loving all the 83 weeks. If you have not checked it out, go listen to Conrad and Eric in 83 weeks. And now just a ton of other stuff over at adfreeshows.com. I mean, you're, you, just you, uh, are producing tons of content over there by yourself. You know why? Cause I have a fucking blast. <laughs> I have so much fun. And I know when I say that to the people, and now you, you work, you know, you're on the team, right? You're yeah. part of the ad free shows team. So I'm, I know, you know, I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. There's no reason for it, but you know, I tell people when I'm on with them, it's like, this is the most fun thing I'm going to do all week. I mean, I laugh, I, I entertain myself, uh, which is hard to do. <laughs> I'm, I'm a tough customer sometimes, uh, but I have so much fun doing it. And, more importantly than that, the, the relationships that I see evolving and building and the quality of members that we have, I call them family members. It's a little corny, I know, but don't care. Tough shit. They're, they're our family. The quality of people that are a part of this adfreeshows.com platform is just so cool. I'm so proud of it. Killer stuff going on there. Killer stuff at 83 weeks. You can listen anywhere you are listening or watching this podcast. Eric, again, thank you, brother. Uh, it's been a blast. And uh, for everybody, thanks for watching. Adios, pachachos. <laughs> <laughs>